Hello, and welcome to the Claremont Bible Fellowship Bible Instruction Time. We now turn you over to our speaker for the day. Good evening, everybody. Uh, we were gone. We missed a, a Wednesday and, and a Sunday, and we missed you all. So, <laughs> uh, it's good to be back. All right, tonight we want to get back to our study in Proverbs, and uh, if you will recall, um, the last couple of verses we covered in the chapter there in Proverbs 3, 1 through 12, which we're trying to go through, but I, I must say I don't think we're going to quite make it all the way through, uh, at least not the way I would like to. Um, but I want to just remind you real quick of the last two verses we covered which uh, were verses 7 and 8, Proverbs 3, 7 and 8, which say, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be, when you do that, it will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. What an amazing truth when you um, refrain from being wise in your own eyes and uh, you trust the Lord completely, and you truly fear the Lord. Uh, the writer says, Solomon says, it will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. And we talked about the fact that that's really the gospel, isn't it? The transforming power of the gospel. And uh, how even, uh, even though we don't, we don't, and the Lord doesn't even promise physical healing to everyone, um, necessarily. Uh, that's his sovereign choice. Uh, but it is amazing how people are healed physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually when they get saved, right? We understand that to be the truth of the gospel. And that's up to the Lord as to how he does it. And that's, I mean, we saw those wonderful miracles. Uh, we see those wonderful miracles in the New Testament as the Lord Jesus uh, went about doing good and uh, healing people and, and uh, in many different ways. But we want to move on and we want to look at verses 9 and 10 tonight uh, and kind of finish up, at least get, we'll just get as far as we can. That's all I can promise you, right? We'll get as far as we can in the time we have. Uh, and we want to look at this next uh, command the next command or the next do, and that is has to do with giving. Honor God by giving from your wealth and possessions. That's what the writer talks about. Honor God by giving from your wealth and possessions. Verses 9 and 10 say, Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Uh, notice that wisdom here teaches us about man's number one priority. Uh, man's number one priority is to honor God. And I was, when I think about that, I was thinking about how men honor men. Men honor men in so many different ways. You've got the Academy Awards. They do it with awards often. Academy Awards. You've got the Emmys, the Grammys. 
the Pulitzer Prizes, you know, all those different types of awards. You've got the uh, various halls of fame, including the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which we, we, we keep praying for a couple in Ohio where she worked there for almost 20 years at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And you've got the Country and, country and Western Music Hall of Fame and, and baseball and football and all the, the sports and music and everything, different kinds of halls of fame. Um, and uh, again, men, how do they honor men? They give to them things. They, they'll honor them by giving them money, by giving them awards, by giving them accolades, um, the Medal of Freedom, all, all kinds of things uh, that they give. Um, watches, gold watches, cars. They give men all kinds of things to honor them. Well, we are to honor the Lord. And, and that's the number one priority of men. Uh, you know the old Westminster Catechism. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. What is the chief end of man? It is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. To glorify God, to honor God. Uh, and as Revelation 4, 4 and following tells us, uh, our Lord and our God is worthy to receive glory and honor and power and thanks or praise. Uh, but the question is, how do we do that in a practical way or practical ways? How do we do that? How do we show that? How do we honor God? Well, Solomon, the wisest man to ever walk the earth, except for the Lord Jesus himself, he tells us that we are to honor him first by giving a portion of our wealth or produce to him. And that's verse 9 or verse 9a, if you want to look at it that way. And this is obviously, I believe, talking about worship. In fact, that's what the passage is in Revelation 4, 4 to 11. It's a worship service that takes place in heaven. And they're the 24 elders who represent the redeemed church. They are worshiping the Lord. They are honoring him, praising him. And, uh, and that's what's going on there. They are giving to him honor and praise and glory. And maybe you've heard that worship involves three books. You ever hear that? Three books. It involves uh, God's book, the Bible. It includes the hymn book. And it includes the pocketbook. Well, that's an old term, isn't it? That's a really old term. The checkbook. I'll say the checkbook. How about the checkbook? Uh, those three books are involved in worship, if you will. Um, so one of the ways we worship or honor God is that we honor him by giving him not only a portion of our produce, that is what he's blessed us with, or by giving him, uh, letter B if you're using the outline, the best of your wealth or produce or what you produce. Uh, notice that Solomon uh, gives very specific instructions here as to how to do this. And you'll notice that his, this giving comes on the heels of verse 5. I mean, very close to verse 5 behind us, behind us in the context of the, the passage, uh, that we are to trust the Lord, right, with all of our hearts. Um, trusting God with all your heart includes trusting him with all your possessions. Amen with all your funds, with all that he gives to us. Uh, and fearing the Lord and submitting to his word are also connected to his commands about finances and material things. And the big principle here that we see here is that God is honored when, God is honored when people give him their first and their best. Their first and their best. And I know this is basic stuff, but 
how often do we hear about this? You know, how often do we hear this taught on? Uh, God is honored when we give him our first and our best. And that's what the Bible refers to as the first fruits. The concept of the first or the principle of first fruits. Uh, we're not to give him the left, leftovers. We're not to give him less than the best. And neither are we to give him after the bills are paid and all of our needs have been met. Right? Uh, these are just basic principles in scripture. We're to give him the first fruits, the very best, right off the top. Um, you know, there's the old joke, we've all heard it, about people sending missionaries worn out clothes and slightly used tea bags. How can you have a slightly used tea bag? It's either used or it's not, I would say. Um, so we, we understand that. Now, it, that might sound funny to us, you know, but it's not funny to the Lord. Certainly not funny to the missionaries if they happen to be on the receiving end of that kind of stuff. Um, so it's important that we understand to give him the leftovers or less than the best, that does not honor, does not honor him, does not honor his name. Now, this command or principle regarding the first fruits, um, it appears early in Israel's history, in, in the law, and uh, throughout Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, God's people are commanded to give the first, to give to him the first of all their crops, their livestock, their produce, whatever else God has blessed them with. In other words, they were to give from off the top the cream of the crop. And I think we had, some, yeah, we've got some scriptures up there if you want to jot them down. Um, those are some references in the Old Testament about the first fruits. But here's a question. <clears throat> what are some of the lessons that uh, the principle of first fruits uh, teaches us? Or uh, what can we learn? What lessons can we learn from this principle of first fruits? Let me just give you four very simple ones, if I could. Uh, one is... Giving in this way revealed their gratitude, when I'm thinking back to the Israelites, their gratitude to the Lord for his many blessings. And it certainly can do that and work that way for us also. It's only natural when one is grateful for a gift uh, to want to reciprocate and give back to the giver and to give thanks, right? It's only natural to be grateful. And we, we understand that. We understand that it's a point of etiquette, in a sense, to be thankful and to give thanks. Um, but especially when it comes to the Lord, uh, this revealed their gratitude to the Lord for all that he had blessed them with. Two, giving this way allowed them to acknowledge that God was the source, that God was the source of the good things they possessed. Uh, they knew it came from him, and they were grateful for that, and we certainly know that. And number three, the first fruits uh, represented the entire harvest, the entire thing. It, it was a token, in a sense, of the, the big picture of the whole. Um, it represented the entire harvest in the fact that it all belonged to God. He was the owner, and we should always keep that in mind. Uh, today. You know, everything we possess has come to us as a gift from him, and it, it belongs to him. Um, you know, I, I've, had, I've had people I've known in the past say, uh, why are you uh, so, so fussy about, you know, keeping your house up or, or taking good care of your car or whatever it might be? Well, 
you know, I mean, I like to have it look nice, but the main reason is I don't own it. I don't own it. You know, if one of you lended your house to me, say, hey, live in my house for six months. We're going somewhere. I don't know where you're going, but anyhow, if you did that, I would want to be very careful to take good care of your house while I was living in it, right? Um, whatever we have, he owns. We're, we're just stewards, as you know. We're to be faithful stewards. And so it really, uh, that's an important point, uh, that he is the owner. He is the owner. He owns all that we have. And then a fourth lesson, it was a vivid reminder of that great event where God redeemed Israel, delivered Israel from Egypt, from bondage in Egypt. And I'll let you study it on your own, but, and you probably have before, but Leviticus 23, you can look at that for more because that really gives the context as to the first fruits and, and the connection to the Passover and to the different, uh, different feasts and and all of that. So those are just some lessons I think we can learn. Uh, but all of that, all they had, because all that they had was because the Lord had saved them out of Egypt. He had delivered them from Egypt. Um, and we know that such deliverance is a type of what? A type of us being delivered from sin, right? Um, it's really a picture, a symbol of that. And we know that such deliverance is a type of being delivered from slavery to sin. And similarly, all that we have uh, is because our Lord has delivered us and saved us out of sin and delivered us from bondage to sin. You know, whatever riches and blessings we possess now, they are, uh, be they spiritual or material, they are due to our salvation in Christ. And uh, it's just another reason to, to remember, give to him the first fruits, always be grateful for all that he's given us. You know, as you study Paul's uh, discussion on giving in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, usually those are the two big passages you hear when somebody's preaching on giving, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, uh, you find that this is the ultimate reason he, uh, that we give our best to him. The ultimate reason is because he gave his best for us, namely his son, the Lord Jesus. That's why we give our best for him, to him. Uh, you know, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not or shall not perish, but have eternal life. 2 Corinthians 9, 15, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Thanks be to God. And of course, grace is all about what? Grace is all about giving. Everything we have, God's unmerited favor is a gift to us. It's not earned. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, though he was rich for your sake, he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. And as the old song says, without him, I would be nothing. But it's also true, without him, I would have nothing, right? So it's so important that we understand that. I love the passage in James, you know it well. Every good and perfect gift, excuse me, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from where? It's from above from coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Shifting of shadow. Some of those perfect gifts, 
obviously include the gifts of salvation, eternal life, freedom from sin, all of those things that we've talked about. So why should Christians give the first fruits and their very best? Is it to earn brownie points with God? Is it to stay in good standing with the church? No. Is it to um, meet all of your obligations that the church set? Well, no, it's not that either. Some churches do tell you you've got to give a certain amount every year. No, it's none of that. It's simply to be done out of love and gratitude for everything that our Lord has done for us and given to us. Plus, he in his wisdom commands us to do it, right? He in his wisdom commands us to do it, um, and so we should do it for that, that very reason, give in that manner of the first truths. Now, um, as with all the other commands and dues here in Proverbs 3, there is here too the reward, the reward. And the reward is abundant blessing and prosperity. That's what verse 10 says. Now, if you didn't know me better, you'd think that I was going to start being a, a health, wealth, and prosperity preacher. And you might think that after I'm done. I don't know. We'll see what you think. Um, but I'm not going to tell you that the more you give, the richer you'll get. Sorry, Lanny, but I'm not going to tell you that. The more you give, the richer you'll get. Uh, that kind of thinking would really mess up our motives for giving, wouldn't it? Distort our thinking, distort our motives for giving. Um, it really would. But I am going to tell you exactly what the Bible says, not only here but in a few other places. Uh, verses 9 and 10 do say, Honor the Lord, I'll read it again, Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. I mean, that sounds like a perfect verse for a prosperity preacher to use, you know, in terms of uh, some of these guys we see on TV. Well, here we have a promise, I believe, a promise for obeying a command and a principle. When we give to God our best, he will give more to us. Now, he does not, and here's where you got to be careful, he does not specifically, uh, or let me say it this way, he does not specify exactly what he will give to us. It could be blessings. It could be joy. It could be eternal rewards. It could be success. It could be prosperity or other things. Solomon speaks of barns being filled with plenty and vats overflowing with new wine. And these, I believe, are they're two metaphors, they're two figures of speech. They're meant to communicate that God will bless us in some way and do only what God can do. If you're a farmer, and boy, you're faithful, you know, and faithful in giving uh, to the Lord and you honor him from the first of your produce... You don't know for sure how God is going to bless you, but only God can make the seed grow. And only God can bless your vineyards and produce lots of grapes there, you know, whatever it is you are producing. Uh, only God can do that. And the point is that the blessing of God is experienced when one walks in this wisdom and fears the Lord and obeys his commands. That's what Solomon is trying to get across to his son. Those who fear him and live by his wise principles, they do prosper. 
And that is biblical. That is true. They do prosper compared to the unsaved and those who do not fear the Lord and those who do not obey him or follow his wisdom. Um, it really is true. And I realize that this does not mean that just because you are God-fearing that you're going to avoid troubles or avoid trials in life or that you'll be wealthy necessarily. It doesn't mean that. Because remember, we still live in a what? In a very sinful, fallen world, right? And we still have sin ourselves. And so we still have problems in life. So it doesn't mean that you're going to necessarily become this rich man like they, so many of the tele-evangelists try and tell people uh, that that's going to happen. However, God does bless those who fear him, who obey him, who follow his word compared to those who don't. You know, if you, just some examples, practical stuff. If you spend your money on foolish things, on, uh, on pleasure, on various things that indulge the flesh, whether it be alcohol or drugs or cigarettes or, or extravagant vacations that you go into debt for, you can't afford, you know, or expensive cars, jewelry, luxury items. If you just want to live it up in this world, and, and live that way and spend on that, well, you're probably going to have some struggles in life in terms of financial problems. And then with the financial problems comes stress, and with the stress comes health problems, and all kinds of things can happen, right? Like a domino effect. The point of verses 9 and 10 is that when we give to God first, he will meet our needs and he will take care of us. And I believe he will bless us. And this is Matthew 6.33. Seek first, underline, the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. And what are all these things? What did Jesus talk about in that passage? He talked about food and drink and clothing and housing. The things we need, right, to live in this world. Uh, let's look at another very interesting passage, if we could, that I think illustrates this. Joshua chapter 1. I'm sure you know it well. Uh, in Joshua 1, Yahweh is instructing Joshua, the new captain who is succeeding uh, Moses, uh, as the leader of Israel. They will, he will lead Israel into the promised land. And I'm going to read Joshua 1, 1 to 9. Joshua 1, 1 to 9. Now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses from the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun, will be your territory." No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land, which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn it, do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. 
This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to walk according, excuse me, to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Wow, what a powerful passage that is. The simple point here is that God is telling Joshua that if he and Israel would obey his word, they would be blessed with prosperity and success. That's what he told them. Now, that does not necessarily mean, in terms of application, that does not necessarily mean dollars, riches, and wealth. In fact, the context here was what? He was referring to the victories that they would have uh, as they took the land, as they conquered the land. Um, So we need to keep that in mind because prosperity and success can really take on many forms. Uh, Again, victories for Israel. uh, I believe it can take on the form of victories for us in life and we can apply it We can apply it that way. Notice here that the Lord, both in Proverbs 3 and Joshua 1, when he promises a positive return for your giving, for your investing, if you will, and for your obedience, he does not say when it will come. Could be future, could be eternal, could be in heaven. He does not say when it will come, how much it will be, or what form it will take. And those are the the things you don't hear the evangelists on TV say, right? (laughs) You're going to be rich, you know, or whatever. You're going to get a hundredfold in terms of, and we're going to talk about that here in just a sec, the hundredfold idea. Um, In fact, it's in Matthew chapter 19. Uh, Another example of prosperity and success is in this passage. Peter said to the Lord Jesus, Peter said to him, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. What will there be for us? Aren't we, aren't we, aren't we noble? We've left everything and followed you. Lord, what do you, what's going to be for us? Uh, Peter and the other disciples had given up a lot. It's true in terms of following the Lord. Uh, they, some of them had given up their fishing business. Matthew had given up his very lucrative H&R tax service or whatever. Matthew's H&R Block tax service, he gave that up. Um, and so they're really wondering what's, what's going to happen here. Um, they're really essentially wondering what will we get in the kingdom for giving so much to follow you, Lord? You know? And they, they ask questions like that. We would never ask a question like that, would we? Might think it, but we wouldn't ask it. Um, well, what did Jesus say? Truly I say to you, that you who have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Well, there's some positions of power and authority, right? And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my name's sake will receive many times as much. And the King James, I think, says a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last 
first. In other words, those who give up their homes and family relationships, property, businesses, whatever it might be, for the sake of the Lord Jesus, they end up receiving a hundredfold, a hundred times as much. Now, I think that was meant to be a figure of speech to communicate something. Um, It wasn't necessarily strictly math, uh, but it means you receive far more than you give up. Would you agree to that? When you follow the Lord Jesus Christ, you receive far more than you give up. Um, I mean, in receiving Christ, think about it. These are just some simple examples. You receive eternal life. You receive the Holy Spirit who indwells you, God himself inside of you, spiritual gifts to use in serving him in the church, a place and position of responsibility in his kingdom, all the blessings of the heavenly, in the heavenly places in Christ, the unfathomable riches of Christ. You become a joint heir with Christ, an equal partner with him, jointly owning all that he owns, which happens to be everything. You receive a lot. When you give your life to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, and so often Christianity is portrayed as, you know, man, you've got to become a monk and you've got to deny everything and and go live in a monastery somewhere and uh, whatever, you know. Um, It's just not the case. You receive much more. Uh, and we can never what? What's the, uh, we can never outgive the Lord. We never can. Never could. Practically, let's look at it this way. <clears throat> when it comes to leaving, giving up things, leaving homes and lands and farms and fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters, uh, when you get saved, you join a forever family. And you become a part of the forever family of God where you have access to all of those, right? Throughout the state of Florida? No. Throughout the entire world, you have access to all of those. For example, I can go almost anywhere in the world, and so could you if you chose to, you know, if you want to fly somewhere. I can go almost anywhere in the world and find brothers and sisters in Christ who, if need be, will house me, feed me, treat me like I'm a close relative. There's the brothers and sisters, and right? I mean, we, we receive so much when we follow the Lord. And in terms of houses and farms and lands, they are willing to share those with me as well. Because I can go anywhere in the world and, and I can find a place to sleep and a place to eat. And I've been hosted in people's homes and on their farms and their lands. And I, I sometimes wonder if we forget How much belongs to us in terms of just that? Well, just that. What a way to say it, right? (laughs) Jesus also said in Luke 6.38, you know this well, give and it will be given to you. Now, what I just described makes that true, doesn't it? Give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. And I know in the context, much of what's being talked about in that passage has to do with forgiveness. Give forgiveness to other ones. You know, give of yourself 
and forgive people. But that, that's another study. Uh, as has often been said, God is no man's debtor, meaning God never owes man anything, but he gives him everything. At least those who believe in him, he does. Uh, what a wonderful truth. He is a gracious and giving and generous God. Proverbs 22.9 says, He who is generous will be blessed. Just straightforward promise. He who is generous will be blessed, for he gives some of his food to the poor. And finally, as to this point of, of uh, giving and receiving and being blessed, think of what Paul said in Philippians 4.18 and 19 in the context of commending the Philippians for uh, their generous giving to him, supporting him in ministry and, and others. Uh, but he said, But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That really sums it up, I think. Now, the Apostle Paul was obviously not a health, wealth, and prosperity preacher, was he? When he promised them that. But he was promising them that according to the word of God uh, and according to the authority he had as an apostle and a representative of the Lord Jesus. He, he says also in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through, 6 through 8, Now this I say... He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly, nor under compulsion, meaning because he's pressured by someone, or God, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency, in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Why does God bless us? And I'm going to assume that we all understand how blessed we are, right? Spiritually and in America, materially, financially, in all of those ways. But why does God bless us? Simply so that we can be a blessing to others, right? That's why he does it. That's what he intends. I mean, as Americans and as American Christians, we are the wealthiest, most blessed people in the world, especially compared to other, other countries. I mean, there may be a few out there like, you know, Saudi Arabia or wherever. That, but I mean, overall, the whole world, we are the most blessed people in the world. And so may we always remember that God has blessed us to be a blessing to others for that very purpose. As I think about those poor people in Ukraine, I mean, they've left their homes, they've left their towns, they've even left their country, millions of them. I think of them and my heart goes out to them, uh, but I, I, I think we need to examine our hearts. And I'm glad, Billy, you mentioned that tonight about uh, uh, how, how we can give, you know, how we can fellowship with them and how we can... can uh, be a blessing to them and others like them. Please keep this one last point in mind as we get ready to close. Giving generously and sacrificially the way God wants us to will always 
require faith, trust that God will always meet our needs. Did we have that one up there, Nona? We didn't. Okay, I didn't ask you to put it on there. I'm going to read it again. Giving generously and sacrificially the way God wants us to will always require faith, trust that God will always meet our needs. And I think that's clear from even the the scriptures we've looked at tonight. And brothers and sisters, based on the authority of the word of God, I can guarantee you that if you will give to the Lord generously and sacrificially, God will meet all of your needs, all of my needs. And I can testify that for the uh, 50-some years since I came to know Christ, uh, 52, I guess, something like that, uh, he has been absolutely faithful and provided every need and we praise him for it. And so we come back, right? We come right back to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, which often includes mathematics, trying to figure out, you know, the numbers and the the budget. Lean not on your own understanding. Uh, In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Well, I knew we wouldn't get through all of what I had hoped to get through. But let me close with this. I want you to see Solomon's conclusion to his lesson. And this is in uh, chapter 3, 13 through 18. And I'm just going to read it from here, if you don't mind. Solomon's conclusion. Oh, I don't have it there, do I? No, I'm sorry. I didn't ask you to do that, did I? My fault. Okay, I have it here, I think. Let me uh, bring it up on my screen. I will have it in one moment. Proverbs 3, 13 to 18. Well, if I can get my iPad to work. Okay. His conclusion, I love this. I thought it's a great way to end. How blessed is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. For her profit is better than the profit of silver and her gain better than fine gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire compares with her. Long life is in her right hand. Takes us back to the passage, doesn't it? Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. I'll let you figure that one out. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are all who hold her fast. Boy, what more can God offer? Blessing, happiness, long life, peace. We talked about all those things when we we possess the wisdom of God and follow the wisdom of God that he reveals to us. Let's pray, okay? Father, thank you. We know we haven't finished the entire chapter here, but I trust that what we have covered has been a blessing, has been um, profitable, that it's been edifying. And I pray, Lord, that we would hunger and thirst 
for the wisdom of God found in our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, We know that even when we come to know him, it is wisdom from God uh, because in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Everything we could need, Lord, to understand, to discern, oh Lord, to make wise decisions, whatever it is we need. And we thank you for the riches that are ours in him, in the Lord Jesus. And I just pray for this body that they would continue to enjoy those riches, continue to enjoy those those heavenly blessings and uh, all that belong to us in him. May we share them with others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.